2080 Baseball Podcast, Travis Crins, Evan Hendershot here. Uh, Evan, interview coming up here. Rob and I are kind of a special edition of the show. Hope to have guests on here during uh, during the season and obviously two hours, American League, National League, lots of talk. So uh, usually we'll have these mixed in with the show, but uh, kind of a special edition uh, to preview the season, kind of a, a general discussion there with Rob Nyer. Yeah, I think um, there was a lot going on in that discussion. Uh, we got some good answers. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's things that are, are interesting to people and and um, I guess maybe things they haven't heard too much about, although we might have covered some things maybe uh, that are, that are um, not exactly new to people. But I think it's interesting to hear uh, somebody's point of view that is definitely different than ours, or, or maybe it isn't, I don't know. Yeah, former uh, writer for ESPN.com, worked for Bill James, kind of how we got to start, went to Fox Sports, SB Nation, kind of doing some freelance stuff right now and uh, different projects we talked about uh, with him. So a uh, very uh, in-depth discussion, uh, baseball and non-baseball stuff. So I thought it was uh, very good. Yeah, definitely has um, more more original thoughts probably than our than our previews did. Uh, there you go. But it's, uh, it's, it's good to... Uh, it's, it's really nice to be talking about uh, the upcoming season, and it's only a few days away. Uh, I, I think that's what's, what's most interesting. And um, uh, we, we really touched on uh, quite a few topics from um, the opinions that, that baseball players have to um, general statistic-related uh, maybe analytics kind of things. And, Changes and, in the game, things like that. Yeah, so uh, I think we kind of went all over the place, and uh, it was definitely a good discussion. Yeah, hopefully have them on again in the future. Uh, Rob Nyer, he's up next. A 30-minute discussion on uh, all things baseball and maybe a little bit of else there sprinkled in. So, Rob Nyer, he's up next. Baseball writer Rob Nyer joins us here on the 2080 Baseball Podcast. Uh, Rob, thanks for uh, spending a few minutes the minutes with us here before the season. You bet. Happy to be here. Uh, what are you kind of looking forward to storylines into the season? We've kind of done our previews here. Anything uh, that you're looking forward to here about a week out? Well, uh, look, I, I think what I look forward to basically every season is being surprised. Um, it, it, if, if I were to identify storylines that particularly interested me, um, I, I probably would be disappointed because most of those wouldn't turn out as particularly interesting, uh, which is to say that what's most interesting are the things that surprise us. And I think if we, could, if we knew what those were going to be, we would all be betting on various lines in Vegas, and most of us don't because we're not that smart. Uh, so, I mean, look, you could say, I'm sure that on the top of many people's lists is, or near the top is, 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 can the Cubs repeat? Well, okay, that's kind of an easy one, right? I mean, that's basically the question we ask every year. Is this team good enough to win uh, again the next season? I suppose with the Cubs, maybe it's more realistic because unlike some teams that have won world championships, they look just about as good this year as they did last year. So it's, uh, it's a realistic goal, highly realistic goal for them to win again. But uh, again, I think that, that what's most interesting are the teams that, and the players who surprise us. Uh, you know, another one that I've seen a lot about, uh, seen a lot of mention about is, is Bryce Harper. And uh, it seems to be sort of trendy to say Bryce Harper's going to have a big season. Just watch. Well, sure, he's probably going to have a big season. Uh, there's no reason to think that he won't have a big season, given that he seems to be completely healthy and that just two years ago he was one of the most devastating hitters in Major League history. So uh, I would expect him 
to hit well. It's the, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a surprise, and thus it wouldn't be particularly interesting if he did play well. Sure. So, um, I guess uh, if if there's nothing really super surprising. Uh, that we can predict, which which seems uh, obvious that we couldn't predict anything like that. Um, I I think one thing I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about, uh, particularly was was your your Twitter history. Um, you you often uh, uh, you and maybe Craig Calcaterra kind of stick out to me as people who don't stick to baseball. And um, re- in recent years, I guess uh, last year in particular, we saw Sean Doolittle uh, actually this this off season talk about uh, some things regarding refugees and things like that. And then we saw Steve Clevenger uh, talk a little bit about. Um, some pretty some pretty nasty things uh, regarding some uh, uh, people exercising their First Amendment rights, and um, I was just curious what your thoughts on are on uh, players maybe starting to um, come out and and maybe say things that uh, you wouldn't expect from from baseball players. Baseball players seem to be pretty uh, maybe maybe play their cards close to their vest. Uh, I guess I was curious what your thoughts are on that from a, from a media person's perspective and and from a baseball player's perspective. Well. I mean, speaking for myself first as someone who's in the business uh, to whatever degree, uh, I think partly part of the reason why I have been, uh, I'm not sure what the right word is, active probably isn't vocal, <laughs> might not be, but uh, enthusiastic about expressing my my opinions is, um, I think there are a couple of reasons. One, I honestly believe that American democracy is is at a crossroads, unlike anything that's ever happened in my life. Um, I think the, the closest you would come to is maybe back in the night, late 1940s, early 50s, with the rise of McCarthyism and the Red Scare. Uh, but I wasn't around for that. So this is sort of it for me. Uh, this seems like the, 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 the time when if I were going to express an opinion, it's, it's now. Uh, and, you know, Craig is one who has done some other things. Keith Law is out there from time to time. There are a few others. I think Andy Martino, I think, I believe his name is, who writes, uh, for one of the New York papers. Um, he's pretty active out there too, but we're certainly in a minority and it's a, it's a small minority. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I don't, I, I suspect that's because for one thing, most baseball writers simply, don't pay a great deal of attention to what's happening out there. And I think also most of them are worried about alienating their, their, their readers, mm-hmm. which is a, a legitimate concern. Um, certainly it's a concern that I have, and I, I worry about it. Um, but I just feel compelled, for better or worse, and I, I don't, I don't uh, uh, take any pride in this. Um, or particularly p- particular pleasure, but I just feel compelled to um, say something when I when I see something that I think is wrong. So uh, that's sort of my perspective from the, the from from my angle. Sure. As far as the players go, I, I mean, obviously one of the things that's changed and for the players as, as and and for me too is we have this <clears throat> outlet all of a sudden. Uh, in in the form of, of Twitter, Steve Clevenger, uh, his thoughts about those protesters. I believe it was I, I believe it was protesters in Dallas um, last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, if he had had those thoughts in 1996 instead of 2016, nobody would have known. Those thoughts would have passed through his head. He was probably watching on television at home or something, and 
and there, there would have been no outlet for them. There, there, he would have no ramifications whatsoever. And I, I'm absolutely sure that, that he, he's not alone in, those, in the, having those thoughts. And, and by the way, I, I think it's worth mentioning that he has been contrite since. Now you can, a cynic, or perhaps even a realist, might, um, might suggest that he, his contrition is, is contrived uh, because he wants to get back into baseball. Um, reading his words, I, I, I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt. But that's just my nature. I, I tend to be uh, pretty charitable when it comes to people uh, apologizing. And uh, Look, we all say things we wish we wouldn't have. I certainly have <laughs> done it <laughs> many, many dozens or hundreds of times, and I think we all have. Uh, but when someone's in the public sphere and we don't agree with them, we are typically not charitable about those apologies. Um, and I, I don't know what's in Steve Clevenger's heart. I thought that what he said was reprehensible, and I said so at the time. But uh, I, I, if I were running a major league team and I thought he could help me, and frankly I didn't think he, I would take a huge PR hit, um, I, I, I would be okay signing him. Uh, you know, and Sean Doolittle, of course, is on the other end of things. Mm-hmm. There aren't many like Doolittle, and there are a few other players, too, out there who, who occasionally opine about uh, public affairs. Um, oddly, most of them are on, would, would be, I think, be seen to be on Doolittle's side. Pardon my dog, sorry. Mm-hmm. I did my best to. Uh, but um, I think most would be on Doolittle's side publicly because. Oddly enough, despite what people might think after the elections last fall, um, publicly, or at least in the sphere in which Doolittle works, um, I think you are better off being on that side than on Clevenger's. Well, I mean, that, look, that's obvious, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Clevenger got suspended and released, and, and Doolittle and the players, you know, other guys, have, have not been. Um, for for what on on that side so socially it is I don't like to use the word liberal per se but but just as a broad catch-all publicly in terms of employment uh, by a baseball team you're better off taking Doolittle's side than Clevenger's side but there are never going to be many guys who do that for the simple reason that most baseball players, most professional athletes, tend to fall on the other side of the spectrum. They tend to be, at least the American players, tend to be pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. And what you don't want to do, most players don't want to do, is publicly set themselves in opposition to their teammates. Uh, that's the biggest reason why you don't hear from many players at all about social issues because uh, it's a good way to alienate your teammates. And the one thing that you are absolutely supposed to do is be a good teammate. You got to live with these guys for eight months. It just makes sense. Leaving aside the whole staying together to, to try to win games, which is a big part of it, of course, but you also have to get along with these guys. So even if you think hunting, for example, is, is brutal and shouldn't be done for sport. Um, it's not a great idea prop for, for most players. It doesn't make a lot of sense to go around the clubhouse or anywhere else saying that you think you, you know, you're opposed to hunting because there's a pretty good chance that 
three or four of your favorite teammates are, are, are big-time hunters in the offseason. So there are a lot of things that, that, that I think prevent players from being too vocal about various issues. And I, I don't blame them at all. I, I, I tend to be charitable toward the players, not so charitable toward the writers, because uh, you know, part of the, the baseball writers are theoretically at least part of a free press. And I think that the free press is, is being threatened uh, more today than it has in my lifetime. And it, it, it actually is um, somewhat disappointing to me that more writers haven't been vocal about that. Sure. Kind of jumping off that, uh, the individualism in baseball and, and players sharing their opinion. You saw the World Baseball Classic. The Latin teams, obviously a little bit more exuberant than the American teams. And then you look at the stars of baseball, obviously Trout and Kershaw. They have plenty of stars to market. Then you look at, you know, the NBA is a star-driven league, the NFL. You know, Peyton Manning didn't play last year, but he was all over the television on commercials. What what could baseball do to make sure that Trout, Kershaw, these great players maybe get recognized more, that they're on the same level of, you know, players in other sports? Well, I think there are two separate issues you're bringing up. Let me see if I can address both. The first, you know, tied to the World Baseball Classic, and showing personality and celebrating all that. Look, it's clear that the tendency is toward more emotion, right, and more celebrating. Uh, if you go back and watch a a game, say, you no, know, a, a World Series game seven in nineteen in the nineteen fifties or sixties. Sure, at the uh, the winning team is going to celebrate on the field afterward, but nothing like what we see today. Uh, today they celebrate after every game when they win. Mm-hmm. Regular season game, they don't I mean they don't. They're not running around jumping, and, but they're they're high fives. There's handshakes. That's the the trend. And despite what some of the mostly white American players will say, uh, there's really no stopping that trend and certainly players are going to celebrate more uh, as more international players even more international players are a big part of the game and of course they're already a huge part of the game um, I just think that has to continue and uh, I also think that the few things that sort of militate against more personality and more celebration um, you know, most obviously the, uh, the the brushback pitch or the beanball uh, Baseball, and, and I think it's going to, MLB is going to have less tolerance of those, those mechanisms than ever. And that's only going to allow for or encourage more personality, more celebrating. And I think that's great. Obviously, I don't know that you, you, you can, sure, it can go too far. There's nothing more frustrating than seeing guys celebrate a home run that turns, out, turns into a double or even a single. We've, all, we've seen that. Um, and I think that's what frustrates old baseball people as much as anything, but those things are rare. Uh, and if a guy hits a big home run and he flips his bat, so what? Uh, the other, uh, I, I think it's a separate, uh, more, showing more celebrating or, or more emotion, I, I think can only make the game at least somewhat more popular. I, I don't think you lose many fans, and you pr- I think you, you almost certainly gain more, more fans, and especially more young fans, then you lose. Now, the other related issue is marketing the star players. Um, I, would, I would argue and have argued many times that 
it's while that's not pointless, the the impact of such marketing is much smaller than most people think. Uh, I, I get the impression from people often that baseball needs to market their their superstars better, as if they're not doing whatever they possibly can. It isn't. There are really smart people, many of them young people, who theoretically know how to reach young people, granted nobody's perfect, who are working for Major League Baseball trying to do these exact things. And if it were easy, if it were easy to turn Clayton Kershaw into a household name, they would have done it already. It's just baseball has become, for the most part, a local sport. I'm not, it's not an original thought. Um, um, I don't know when I started talking about that, but certainly other people have been talking about it for a while. Um, when you look at the local TV ratings, people always complain about the national TV ratings for regular season games and, and especially for the all-star game and, and, and postseason games. And they're not good. They're not what they once were. Now, granted, the World Series games can do pretty well uh, relative to other television programming, but they're not close to what they used to be, which is, of course, true of everything. You know, <clears throat> the Big Bang Theory is never going to do anything like what the Beverly Hillbillies did or MASH did or something. We're, we just live in a different television world. Uh, and baseball, the same thing has happened to baseball, basically. It's in the cities where the team is doing well and there's an established fan base, the TV ratings are, tend to be really good for the local broadcasts. Um, but it's difficult to get someone in, say, Atlanta or St. Petersburg to tune into a, a regular season game featuring, even if it's Clayton Kershaw pitching against, against Mike Trout, you know, Dodgers Angels interleague game, two of the arguably the two best players in baseball today. Um, not many people in St. Petersburg are going to tune in. I don't think there's a way to change that. I really don't. Um, I could be wrong, but I just don't think the days of Mickey Mantle and Pete Rose and uh, you know Tom Seaver, Reggie Jackson, where everybody knows these names, I think those days are gone. And I don't think it's a problem. Uh, it's not like baseball isn't making money. Revenues are up every year, you know, billions of dollars every year. So nobody's in danger of going broke. And I think most of the people who complain about this love baseball, want baseball to be what it was in the 60s and 70s, where any Joe off the street could name five or six or eight superstar baseball players. I'd love to see that again, too. I just don't know how it happens. Sure. So um, I guess uh, jumping off uh, revenues going up, it seems like possibly expansion uh, could could be coming around in, in the future. And we saw um, an Oakland team in, in the NFL, albeit, but uh, move today, or uh, the vote was today. Do you do you ever see the A's uh, maybe moving, or do you see any any future expansion teams maybe up uh, up in your neck of the woods in in the Portland area, or um, do you what what do you see for the future of baseball as far as uh, there being thirty teams right now? Uh, do you, do you see that growing pretty soon here? Well, first of all, the future is incredibly hazy. Um, I will. There are a few things that we've learned from history, I think, that might help. But as far as the A's go, 
uh, I would have said five years ago, or maybe even fewer years ago, that there was a, at least a decent, say, one in four chance of them moving. I don't think that's true anymore. I, I mean, the A's are about to become the only major franchise in Oakland. Uh, the, the Warriors are moving to San Francisco. Granted, it's only a few miles away, but, but, but uh, uh, emotionally, that's a big deal. Um, the Raiders are moving to Las Vegas in two years. Um, that will leave the A's as the only... And they seem to, publicly, they have embraced, they've got a new owner, or at least a new CEO, who seems to have embraced Oakland. It's not clear to me why, except that moving is so difficult. And if you reach a point where you, where you realize that it's almost impossible to move, and your threats to move aren't, don't seem to be uh, making a positive difference, maybe it makes sense to do a 180-degree turn and say, you know what, we love it here, we want to work with you, how do we make this happen? And that seems to be what they're doing. There's even a, there, there, there have been reports that the A's are planning at some point this season, whatever that, mean, whatever that means, to announce a, a site for a new ballpark. I'm sure there are all kinds of hurdles before, before that actually happens, but uh, but they are talking about it, and they aren't talking about moving. They've given up on moving uh, south uh, because the Giants um, are able to were able to throw a huge roadblock up, um, and they're not talking about moving to Sacramento or Portland or anywhere else. So I think that they're going to stay, and I think ultimately they're going to thrive because that remains the East Bay remains a, a, a huge market and is only going to get I think better. Of course, a lot of it depends on where they build the new ballpark, but I think they're going to be in that area for for a long time. As far as expansion, look, clearly, in my mind, there are viable sites for two more major league teams. You get the 32, which is a nice round number. Um, baseball has been, I shouldn't say stuck. I don't know if stuck's the right word, but they've been set with 30 teams now since 1998, almost 20 years, um, which is obviously quite a long time. I think we're, we're now the longest we've gone without, an, without uh, adding franchises since the early 1960s. Um, and what people will say, and what I used to say, was that baseball has always followed, in terms of expansion and that sort of thing, baseball has always sort of followed the 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 population when the markets got big enough baseball took advantage but i think that is a bit simplistic um almost every time and maybe every time that uh baseball has added franchises it wasn't because they saw an opportunity necessarily it was because there was some external pressure in the early 1960s when they expanded it was almost completely because there was a threat of a third major league, the Continental League, which, which almost actually happened. Probably would have happened if, not, if baseball hadn't agreed to expand, and in, in particular expand in, in New York at, a, at the Mets. Um, when baseball expanded in 1969, it was in large part due to pressure from a, one senator, U.S. senator, uh, who was upset about the, the, the athletics leaving Kansas City. So then you wind up, well, we're going to get a team in Kansas City, a new team, to make up for that. We have to have another team to, to, to balance things out in the American League. And, oh, okay, the National League says, 
we don't want the American League to have more teams than us, so we're going to add two teams as well. And then in 77, you add the Mariners because, believe it or not, because of the pilots having left seven years earlier. Um, so there, there have always been these external pressures to add teams, and I don't know where the external pressure comes from the next time. Maybe something, it might be something, I, I think there will be an external pressure. I just don't know what it would be. But without that, you know, the reason that you don't, what, what, what prevents expansion, I think, at least one thing that does, prevents it is uh, the owners don't want to split up that national television pie. Now, granted, you think the pie gets bigger if you have more teams, but baseball owners typically think in the short term. They don't think, well, is this good for baseball in 10 or 15 or 20 years? They think, is this good for my team this year or next year? And it's without those external pressures, financial or, or political, I don't know what the impetus would be for adding a couple of franchises. Rob Nyer joining us here on the 2080 Baseball Podcast. Been in a few minutes with us here before the season. Uh, I want to touch on uh, the increase in runs. Runs have increased almost a half run here the past couple of years after a decline in eight of the past nine seasons. Home runs are up at almost their highest level ever. ever. Strikeouts are obviously uh, as many as there's ever been. So we can kind of kind of correlate that. More home runs, more runs. That makes sense. But uh, anything else as far as why home runs all of a sudden spiked up? And because uh, people were talking about how to change baseball, uh, you know, move the mound and all that to, to get runs uh, increase. And now all of a sudden, the, these past two years, runs have not been an issue. They haven't, and and it's largely, as you suggest, because of the home runs. Uh, And so then the question becomes, why are the home runs up? What I will tell you, with no foundation whatsoever, other than my word, is that there are smart people within baseball who believe that the baseballs are livelier than they were whether this was on purpose or not, it's not clear. I tend to think it wasn't on purpose, but I don't know. I don't even know if it's true. But that is a popular opinion within the game, something about perhaps the glue that's used inside the ball. Who knows? Um, uh, People try to test them, but the tests aren't rigorous and the results are inconclusive. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the ball was livelier. Um, I think it's probably also true. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence and a little bit of statistical evidence that because uh, of the cameras that are now installed in the major league parks, um, you baseball teams and the, the hitters themselves can measure their launch angle precisely of their swing. And Science is very, tells us what the optimal launch angle is, if you want to hit a home run, that is. So it seems to be, it seems pretty clear to me from what I've heard people say that at least some hitters are, are adjusting their swings just a little bit, a degree here, a degree there, to optimize their launch angle. So you've got hard hit balls going over the fence, maybe instead of bouncing off the fence or bouncing off the warning track for a double. So I think that. Those are two obvious things that, where you could say you could draw a direct line if this were true. If guys change their launch angle, if the ball is livelier, that would result in more home runs. 
What if, you know, umpires are calling more low strikes now than they ever have before? And there's some anecdotal evidence that the the low pitch is actually easier to drive over the fence than the high pitch. So if if pitchers are throwing more low strikes or trying to throw more low strikes uh, because those will be called strikes, that would result, and and it's, you know, it works. Yes, you would have more strikeouts, which of course we've seen. You might also have more home runs. So I think that there isn't one reason for the large increase in home runs. Um, there might be one dominant reason, but what I think is that there's, there are probably two or three or, or more reasons why we're seeing more home runs. And, and, you know, it's sort of a, it's just all coming together at once. And of course, we also have more strikeouts. And I think ultimately I've, I'm very heartened when I hear Rob Manford, uh, the commissioner, talk about sort of, he doesn't use this term, but the ideal, uh, you know, an, an ideal baseball game or, or the, way, you know, the way it should look. And he seems to be pretty enthusiastic about more balls in play, and, which doesn't mean more home runs. It means more balls in the field being hit. I think it's a better brand of baseball. I think it's more interesting. I think he thinks that. Uh, whether or not that translates into anything, you know, meaningful changes, very difficult to say because it's so hard to get the players to agree on anything. Rob Nyer joins us here, 2080 Baseball Podcast. Uh, Want to wrap it up here with a little project, uh, this 10-part series uh, that you worked on, Interesting Manager Decisions in History. Where did this idea come from? Uh, I don't know. Um, I just I wanted to – I had – I had to, I wanted to do ten ten somethings, and um, I, I really couldn't tell you where that came from. Maybe it was because it was one of the few things over the years that I haven't written much about. Um, I think actually, I think the biggest reason was because I wrote a book. I don't know how many years ago now, ten years or something, about great baseball blunders, and a number of those were managerial blunders, and. Uh, I think at some point in the last 10 or so years, I sort of shifted from wanting to uh, in, enjoying focusing on negatives, i.e. blunders, and to wanting to focus on positives. Uh, you know, we, we tend to look for scapegoats. We tend to look for blunders, uh, mistakes people made, in, especially in sports. And I thought it would be fun to I'd never really done before and to parse some of the some of the, the great moves that, that managers have made. So I think it really was just more of a, frankly, me getting old and wanting to write something, write something about, about good decisions. There's the one on the, the 29 World Series with Connie Mack. Are there any other ones you can, you can share with us that are, that are coming up? You know, it's funny. Uh, uh, I wrote these articles about six months ago, and I've literally forgotten almost all of them. <laughs> the one that's coming out later this week is uh, sort of a blow-by-blow account of uh, Cal Ripken becoming a shortstop because, as you probably know, he was a, a third baseman um, most of his minor league career and then his rookie season, um, very short season. He came up in, I believe, late July or early August of 1981. Uh, was a third baseman, opened the next season, 82, as a third baseman. Uh, and then, of course, shifted to shortstop 
in roughly the middle of the season. Uh, Earl Weaver was the manager. And, um, I, you know, I knew all that. I didn't know what the rationale was. I didn't know what Weaver thought about it. I didn't know what Ripken didn't find out until he looked at his name on the lineup card, <laughs> which to me is bizarre. You think about that, if that happened today, there's no way that the manager wouldn't discuss it with the guy, that it wouldn't be, you know, all over the media for months. Should he move? Shouldn't he move? You know, and then if he did it, he'd have to have a meeting with him and explain it to him. And it would be a whole negotiation. The agent would be involved. And I don't mean to suggest that that way was better than the way it would be today. I'm just saying it was different. Um, and that was one of the little tidbits that I came across when I was doing the research for the piece. Um, and the other eight, uh, we'll have to wait and see because I've forgotten. If uh, people want to check that out, where do they go? They go to uh, probably the easiest thing to do is Google National Pastime Museum. I think the website is just www.tnpm, short for the National Pastime Museum, tnpm.com. But, you know, if you Google National Pastime Museum, and we have a bunch of great writers, Paul Dixon, who's a tremendous writer, uh, he's just finished, finishing up a series on, on All-Star Games, um, and lots of great stuff there. Rob Nyer here on the 2080 Baseball Podcast. Uh, appreciate his time here. Twitter, Facebook, uh, people want to follow you. Uh, where can they go? Both. Rob Nyer, R-O-B-N-E-Y-E-R on Twitter. Uh, very, it's my name. I got in early. <laughs> and uh, I also have a Facebook page, a professional page, where I post all the writings, and I think it's Rob Nyer MLB or something, but I'm sure it's easy to find. All right, Rob, we appreciate the time. Hopefully I have you on here maybe later on in the season. I would love to do it. Thanks for having me, guys.